0: What do you do when you've got a big old pile of data that you need to process, but it's out in the middle of digital nowhere? You could build an edge network and a computing stack, perhaps. That's all the rage for some industries. Lots of digital ink spilled and consortiums formed around edge computing. But what if an edge solution is not an option for you? What if you really need to get that big old data pile up to the cloud or a headquarters site for processing? You need to come up with some unusual networking solutions to get the data from where it is to where it needs to go. Our guest today is Michael Shepard, and he's had to address this exact problem, getting video from sites where there isn't any infrastructure up to public cloud and other places for processing. Michael, welcome to the show. And in just a sentence or two, Tell us who you are and what
1: you do, man. Well, first, let me thank you guys for having me on the show. I love you guys, and this is not because you paid me to say this, even though I will accept uh, accept money. But you guys are great. When I listen to a podcast about technology, it's you guys. I mean, it's great. You guys have short, pithy little things that uh, are really uh, practical and tangible, and you know, listen on the way to work. And so, you guys are great, and so I, I appreciate it. Uh, it's, it's an honor to be here. So, thank you for that. First. Um so yeah I'm CTO at Rogers O'Brien Construction and so we are a construction company general contractor technically in uh the, the Texas area uh we're based out of Dallas Texas and so we do all commercial construction uh hospitals schools uh, you name it. We, we kind of do it. Um, we do a little bit of public work, federal work. So you're um, building, building buildings, is we, that... we build buildings. Yeah, build buildings. yeah exactly. exactly. So then,
0: okay. So let's get into your data problem then. Um, what is the data that during the process of building a building that you're generating? I know
1: I mentioned video, but to give us more detail, yep. basically the process is for us is, you know, we get a, a thumbs up to start building a building and, uh, one of the things you have to realize is we aren't, you know, off of main highway. A lot of times we're in the middle of a field. It doesn't even have an address yet we're, we're the people that go and, and get it an address. And so you're not going to have a lot of uh, connectivity options. Sometimes you get lucky and you're sitting right on top of a pile of fiber and sometimes you're not. Uh, so, you know, one of the big challenges is not only the data, but the connectivity to cross to transmit and transfer that data to a whoever it is, a, a render land farm one. or main server infrastructure, gotta whatever it is. Got to have
2: your land one. It's got to it, be a piece of copper or a fiber optic cable. Yeah, <laughs> you know,
1: you know, or lasers or something, but we got to get it somewhere. Yeah. And so um, so that's our first challenge. The second challenge is, like you said, we just have a ton of data that, that, that we generate on a job site. Um, and you don't think of technolo- uh, construction as being uh, high tech at all. You know, it's more of just people with shovels and digging digging around the playing in the dirt. But more and more, it is becoming very high tech. Um, we do tons of laser scanning, three D uh, imaging. We do uh, augmented reality, virtual reality stuff, and all those things just generate tons of data. We've got um, what we call a, a VDC department, which is basically a group, a team that sits on site uh, with you know tricked out computers that go and they take the models and they do tons of renderings and and, and different variations and collision detection to say, Hey, you know, we've got a pipe here and we've got some concrete here. We want to make sure that this pipe doesn't go through this vent. Uh, you know, all that stuff is happening in kind of real time because any delay obviously in the schedule is, is pretty significant. Um, and so now we're getting into, you know, with COVID we've had even more data from uh, from that standpoint, because a lot of owners and a lot of companies, corporations don't want to go on site, but they want to see progress of the building. So what we do is we do a uh, pretty frequently walkthroughs of the job sites daily. Uh, and do a 360 virtual tour we crunch that data so people can then hop on their computer walk through the job site and that does a couple things one they can jump on they can see the data they can or they can Mm -hmm. see the job site to see where it's at progress but also gives us a historical layered um history book we'll say a progress of how the job's progressing so that six months from now we do something or, or after the project's completed and they want to do a renovation we can go back in time and say hey what was actually going on here at this time where did we put that pipe where did you know we build that wall what why did we do that and you can kind of see you know behind the wall so to speak before they were built and we've got this little you know it's it's like the way back machine for a building so to speak and so we just have a ton of da- data we're generating <laughs> oh, and uh,
2: one of the it's, things the oh yeah sorry is i can actually remember back back in the very early days when i used to make pcs like Literally, we would buy container loads of x86 computers. Oh, man. and 386 computers in yep. from, and they were made in Taiwan piecemeal by grandmas. Literally, <laughs> it was like a, anyway, it was like a cottage industry. They would assemble them at home and they get paid $100 for 100 motherboards assembled wow. and stuff like that. What kind this of business were you in? Do I need to know? Do we need to know that or is <laughs> they going to keep this off? <laughs> <laughs> it was back in the very early days of PCs and construction sites wanted computers. And I remember going onto construction sites and they have the dongers. So the donger is that, you know, metal, do they call them dongers in the States?
1: They, we don't No, mm-hmm. I think you're talking about what a trailer. You is that what you're
2: talking about? Yeah, trailer? Yeah. Okay. yeah. In Australia, they call them dongers. Cause when you hit, when you hit them, they dug a dong. <laughs> <and> a dong <laughs> so they called dongers and, um, impressive. There. And, and there would always be a couple of dongers that were just full of papers. And what would happen is as they came out, the drawings, would be used and every day a carload of drawings would be brought in and they'd be used and then stored. And then when they stopped being used or carried around the site for the meetings and everything, they would go and put those tapers in the drawers. And then one day they burned down and they lost all the history of the project. So like some kids came in and burned it down or, yeah. you know, whatever. Yeah. And uh, So that's the sort of thing that you're talking about. Something that used to be very paper-based and there was a, yeah. you know, a drawing office somewhere nearby and there was a whole bunch of people doing technical drawing and checking whether That's all automated basically, yeah.
1: isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, back, even not that long ago, you know, again, construction is the industry that lags behind the most in technology. I mean, there's report after report that says they are just the least amount of spend per dollar per revenue uh, than any other under, under their vertical. Um, And there's so much opportunity, you know, uh, whether it's blockchain or automation, robot dogs, whatever it is, it's, uh, you know, there's tons of opportunity. And, you know, just it was like five or six years ago, we still had people manually hand transferring from drawings to other sets of drawings changes, you know, Mm. so you make that change, and they're doing it in triplicate, you know, and it's just like, what the heck now, you know, obviously, we've got huge table, you know, table based uh, displays and things like that. But, it, it is slow to change, and so that's yeah. why it's an exciting time because there's so much opportunity and so many people coming out with IoT and Bluetooth stuff that helps connect the the worker and safety and you know proximity yeah, sensors cause... and all that stuff. That really we're generating a ton of stuff in construction. I mean, now you know, you've got cement sensors. We're building in cement sensors so that you can de- detect the humidity and moisture of concrete, so you know yeah. when to build, when you know when not to build when the concrete's hard enough to cure so you can start building the next layer on top of it there's tons of stuff that's going on and the
2: weird part about this is it doesn't change anything it just makes it more efficient yeah like exactly. i watched i watched one quarter of a building site grind to a halt because you said before about the pipes yeah and they suddenly discovered a pipe that didn't show up on any of the searches and they had to yeah. stop and get yep. the people in from the drawing office to come and look at it and yep. then all night working, redoing the drawings, yeah. working you know, and then yep. rush off to city council to get approvals. And in the yep. meantime, there was 200 people sitting around <laughs> drinking tea with their feet up going, keep it coming, don't, don't rush fellas. Don't. You know, like lots of money. Just- Man, you're absolutely right. It's funny, the first project we used a drone on. So, you know, drones,
1: everyone's got a drone, right? First one we used a drone on, we flew it over and we, d- we detected the exact issue. We had a pipe right in the way, wasn't any drawing and it saved us, I think it came out like 250, $275,000 because we mm. didn't get far enough to cause problems. So you know, we were able to revert, you know, uh, redirect it before we were at a stop, you know, scenario yeah, yeah. where we were kind of wait around for whatever permits or whatever it was. So it's crazy and it's not magic, you know, this has been around forever, but it's just <laughs> it's, using it's that just, same stuff in a different yeah. way to, you know, make things more efficient. It's it's, it's crazy disturbing
2: just how crazily, the little things can make such a big difference yep. at the end of the day, it's still piling concrete on each other and fitting a, that's not changed, but just yep. how far that's come. Nah,
1: yeah. It really is. Yeah. It really, yeah. it really has been just so. to put some
2: color around what you're saying. Cause I can remember 30 years ago, that was a thing that they wanted to do, but they couldn't, they couldn't work out how to move forward. Yeah. The best we could do was email. <laughs>
0: No, Michael, you said VR, I think we have a pretty good idea of that. And yep. uh, AR, augmented reality, I think we have yep. a pretty good idea of that we've seen some of the li- be- things being layered on top of, well, I-, I-, I bought a Ubiquity switch recently and their app, if you aim it at the switch, it will do an AR layer on top yep. and kind of tell you uh, various things that you might need to know. What is your use case for AR in the building world?
1: Yeah, so uh, same kind of deal. It, it really comes in handy when you're either uh, selling a project or you're doing a, a remodel, retrofit, right? So a lot of people are really visual, right? So it's it's one thing to look at a 1D, 2D, even a 3D plan on a computer, but to actually put on a headset and be able to interact with the space, um, it saves a lot of time on change orders. Uh, where, where owners kind of build something, we build the room out and an amphitheater or whatever it may be, and you know it's just not right after you build it, and and that really provides that next level of uh, interaction for the owners, so that we can build that more efficiently. They get what they want. Um, and you know, we save money at the end. So that's a big aspect of it. Also, um, you know, got tons of hollow lenses out in the field that, uh, when someone on our team engineer or whatever it may be puts that on, they can then look at a building that's been walled in and mm-hmm. see pipes running. They can see electrical, they can see conduit, they can see, Anything you need to see it at different layers, you know, because... They get Superman powers to, to it's be exactly able to visualize right. what's inside the building. exactly yeah. right. Exactly yeah. right. And so it really makes that that um, a lot more efficient, again, for punch-out lists and things like that. Yep. So, okay,
0: this is interesting then, because it's not merely that you've got data that you're pulling in in the form of video, where you're doing regular video check-ins no. and pulling all that back. It's also you're
1: pumping data back to the site. You got to yep. feed that HoloLens somehow. Yep. Yep. So we do both, right? So we have this model and, you know, the, the architectural firm gives us this model, which is Sometimes it's great. Sometimes it's terrible. We take that. We overlay it onto the actual video or photos of the site. And so then we overlay the photos, the conduit, HVAC, all that stuff onto real, you know, live images. You can see where it's going to go or where it is, where it's not, it shouldn't be, you know, because a lot of, a lot of issues happen, you know, where things are off, things, measurements aren't right. And then on top of that, we also have something called laser scanner. So basically what we do is we take this LIDAR, this camera, you know, a bunch of LIDAR uh, sensors in it and it shoots the room and it gives, you know pinpoint accuracy, millions of points that are interpreted, taken back, rendered to then build a complete and very accurate representation of the room. And that really gives us what we need to build things and not have to rebuild them, you know, or, Mm. or, or offset things and, and, and things like that. So that's really, those are the big three components that we take from a project. And that's a ton of data to crush, compress, render, and throw back in a pretty short period of time. And so we do, we generate a ton of data because we are doing, I I think I told you earlier, we, um, you know, it takes a lot of man hours to wander around a job site with a 360 camera. Um, And it's, it's valuable, but that's one of the things that people, you know, you got into construction not to wander around with a camera on your head. So we've tried to find ways to automate that. We partnered with Boston dynamics and have a couple of their spot dogs walking around the the job sites with cameras on their back so that we can get uh, it's more accurate, right? It's consistently done. um, And, uh, and it's, it's really reliable. And this so is that's literally been a really, the
0: robot dog you mentioned before. That wasn't a ex- joke.
1: That was no, a a legitimate using. It's a thing we're using. Yeah, it's a, <laughs> a dog with a, you know, with a, a thing on its back, camera on its back. And so we also on top of that have drones and that's part of the same program we're, we're working with drone deploy, which is a company that manages flight paths for drones. They do a ton of stuff. They do stitching, um, program flight paths, things like that. Working with them to work on a product that kind of integrates those two things together—the drones and dogs—because it's really where it's at. I mean, the owners want to see that. We want to see it, you know, for marketing, for build out, all that stuff. So it's been it's been really fun. But we have a ton of data, and we've got to get it somewhere to render farms yeah. or to, you know, the cloud to actually get make it useful, right? So what what form does that video take? Are we talking 720p, 1080p, 4K, more? yeah we do 4k we do we can go higher than 4k but right now we're at 4k um because we can't before it was really low res and so yeah i mean it was like you know far worse than google satellite view right yeah. um but now we're doing uh 4k so we can go in and zoom in and say oh, man we you know we miss a waterproofing thing here or there's some mm. you know we got to have that high quality detail you want so that pixels, we don't you have the, to, resolution. Yeah. We, we yeah. the resolution yeah you need the resolution yeah yeah exactly and it makes the, the flight pass much quicker right because before we had to fly at a low altitude um you know to get that quality now we can fly higher altitude get better bigger swaths of photos and and make that happen significantly quicker especially when we're doing you know we do data center sites that have you know, 10, 15 data centers on them, each being just, you know, millions and millions of square feet or mm. Amazon distribution centers. And doing um, doing those with drones just takes, it takes a lot of time, you know? And so the higher the quality, anything we do to, to improve efficiency, you know, makes our lives and
2: better. You and use them for money. things like roof inspections. Is there exactly. paint wearing on the aircon units? Is the yep. roofing, you know, compound still waterproof? Is there some sort of deterioration in it? If you can take a photo at high res, 8K, and then zoom in, yeah, you can get a lot of inspection done without actually going up on the roof. So yeah. you've got no security, no special access, no uh, security access to site. Because that's a lot of problems these days. If you let someone mm. on the booth for these data centers, yep. you have to go through full vetting of, at yep. some level. You have to be accompanied by a site safety officer. You have to absolutely, and you're just going to go and walk around the roof and look for problems, like you know.
1: Yeah, yeah. Take a, <laughs> take a thermos
2: and sit in the corner for the <laughs> afternoon, like safety inspection. Totally, totally. Yep,
1: yep, yep. Well, it's exciting too is that, you know, it's one thing to have the data and then the next step is what do you do with it and make it uh, smart, you know, take machine learning, things like that. And there's a lot of companies out there that are taking the video data and making it even more useful. Um, Verkata's got some great stuff coming out. And there's also some construction specific companies that are actually looking when you're doing, when you have a safety violation, it'll detect if you've got a railing that's missing, or you've got someone who's not harnessed in, or you've got a ladder that's too tall or whatever it is. <clears throat> um, and now with COVID, a lot of people are rolling out, you know, proximities um, or congestion areas, right? So it was more than a certain period, a number of people in a, t- in a confined area. So there's a lot of cool stuff that's happening, but again, it takes a ton of power Uh, Do you process that on the job site? Do you send that off to do, you know, if you try and process it on the job site, you're going to have a server farm in every job you have to render that, right?
2: I mean, one of the things that we've learned doing video here at Packet Pushes is that a 4K video is improbably large. (laughs) Yes. Like we can't even work with it in our local desktops. How the hell are you doing it at industrial scale? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a great question, and and that's where
1: that was our biggest challenge. Because as I mentioned earlier, you know we've got job sites that have LTE connections, you know, uh, and so we we don't have consistent, reliable, low-latent connections consistently, and so we've had to come up with some pretty creative ways to handle some of that stuff. Um, in generally, you know, obviously there in, in general, there's a lot so of Type drives in statement. a
2: car. Sorry, hard disks. <laughs> yeah, Talk exactly. A hard disk <laughs> storage <laughs> arrays in the back of a lorry. Yeah,
1: yeah that, our solution that? is Joe, and Joe drives back and forth between job sites. <laughs> Yeah, he's great. It's the best thing we've ever done. Oh,
2: that's no, a podcast. Well, wow, that's great. We <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anything else you guys got to know? Yeah, just ask. There you go. That's that's the uh, human-defined WAN right there. Exactly. <laughs> a big thing
1: for us was uh, before we rolled out some different solutions. We, you know, reliability of job sites was terrible. We were a VDI environment, uh, which I mean, if you've ever tried to run VDI over a, a, LAN, uh, a LTE connection, it's it's impossible, right? And so we've had to make a lot of changes. Because of those in unreliable, low-latent connections or high-latent connections, uh, so what we did is rolled out SD WAN, right? And, and everyone, everyone's got an SD WAN connection now. It's not not a big deal. Our kind of uh, uniqueness to it was we wanted the provider that incorporated WAN acceleration, which is a huge, huge thing for us because we have a lot of the same data that's transferring back and forth with minor changes. And the WAN up was a significant thing for us because at that point you're not transferring, uh, you know, a terabyte file. Six times back and forth every time there's a change, you're transferring just, you know, the compressed version of it or the, the, that, the data bytes that have changed, which has been pretty significant. The other thing, too, was the solution we went with was aggregated multiple lines so that, you know, when you're in a job site that is only have cable Internet, you know, you've got a one gig down and 25 megs up, you know, whatever it may be. <laughs> you know, we can bond six, seven, eight, nine, ten of those together so that we get the speed we want. And, um, and it actually band, spans it across the connection where a lot of solutions, you know, they kind of lock you into the just the max of the actual circuit. And then yeah. uh, with this solution, it actually bonds it across all circuits and it makes its own tunnel because, you know, it's controlling the whole infrastructure from endpoint to endpoint so it has the ability to reorganize those packets once it comes back there's a couple of things here you know
0: one yeah. we, we need to talk about that WAN architecture but give us a sense of how many bytes you're moving around through this infrastructure we, we 4k is a lot and that's as far as we've quantified it
1: yeah yeah uh it terabytes terabytes of data from job depending on job sites. so our job sites, okay. and I, i'm not dodging the question i mean i i totally am but the <laughs> problem is we'll do a small uh retro you know for a small building that's you know a couple thousand square feet and that's nothing Uh, but sometimes when we do data centers or hospitals, it's terabytes of data that are being transferred on a, on a, sometimes a daily basis, depending on what we're doing on that, on that job site, huge amounts of data, huge amounts of data. Okay. In a short period of time, in a short period of time, right? It's one thing to have to do it in a week. If I get a terabyte across you know, to the server farm in a week, not a big deal. But if I got to do it in a day, you know, that's a, that's a pretty significant feat when you're, especially some of the the, uh, challenges we have to run into, you know, we're building a building around the infrastructure. So terabytes
0: of data from the job site to, and you've mentioned a couple of different destinations. One is a server render farm. So this
1: sounds like something you've got at a data center of your own somewhere. We actually, so we we had a couple couple things we did. We had uh, on-prem, uh, render farm, which we took, I mean, it's funny, uh, Greg, just like you said, we would take old machines, you know, the old Google model, right? You took a shoebox and jammed some, some GPUs in there and, and called a server farm, render farm. We've actually just recently got off of that. So that was on-prem. We shifted that over to Azure, which is what we're using for rendering all of our um, mm-hmm. All of our images and, and video and stuff like that. That makes it significantly faster. You know, Azure is great because it's it's uh, minute by minute yeah. charges, right? So you're not getting mm-hmm. charged by hour or by day. You're really got fine increments of charge. So when we're, when we're rendering but something, it's been...
2: the thing that strikes me about your business is that a the construction business is job by job. So mm-hmm. if you're working on this construction site, you yeah. want the costs of that render run to be allocated to that contract.
1: Exactly right. One thing, yeah. right?
2: And then the second part about this is, you might be on a job where the render run is done a thousand times, but you might be on another job where it's done 50 times. So you don't yep. want to build a render farm and then have a project capped. Yep. So the cloud is actually a good use case for you. It's, it's a perfect you use You don't case. have a sustained load and a workflow pipeline and a flat. So it makes sense to use somebody else's you know, servers to do this. Yep.
1: Yeah. Right. Yep. No, you're exactly right. You hit it right on the, he- the nail on the head because we do, we, we need to book everything we do to the job, the job cost, yep. Right. And so everything <laughs> has got to be quantifiable you know I
2: worked in construction somewhere. Don't you?
1: I'm <laughs> telling you, I mean, yeah, many, many trades. <laughs> yeah. um, so you're exactly right. And, and that's really where the club makes it perfect because we're not spending a ton of money on stuff, you know, low time, you know, maybe we have three or four jobs and, you know, we want to have this monster server farm just sitting there, you know, it looks pretty. We need we power it down, and, and it's and it's very efficient, very efficient yeah. for us.
2: Mm.
0: Now, so when you send things up to Azure, are you doing that through your on-prem facility where it's like, ah, oh, some of it we're going to keep, some of it going to Azure, or is some of it going from the job site directly to Azure?
1: Yeah, so both. And that's the beauty of our SD-WAN. We did a mesh setup, so basically every job mm-hmm. can route to any other job or data center. So we've got an edge, edge device in Azure, uh, and uh, a couple different regions. And we also have an edge device at the main office and every other job site. So if a route, and the nice thing is the, the uh, SD-WAN solution is aware in the sense that if it finds a faster path to get somewhere, it's going to take that path, right? So, and that may so be, it might
2: dogleg through the start. Absolutely. Yeah, it right? could dogleg so through another
1: job site even, if it needs to.
2: So it's not even like I just go the, sh- the one hot path Right. If I need to dogleg, because that's a better path, the, the SD-WAN is capable of detecting that.
1: Exactly. Yeah, because it does not just, uh, it, it factors in a lot of factors into de- determining the route. Like you said, hmm. hop, hop is one thing, but also latency, round trip, uh, jitter, all those things are considered when it's, it's and you can, you can optimize it as well. So if you want to you know, do throughput is higher priority than reliability, then you can adjust it to kind of take some of those factors into consideration.
2: But, can I ask a dumb question here? How that's hard hilarious. is that? How hard is that? Like I've talked to people who've gone like, oh no, we can't do that on SD. That would be like, you know, blah blah blah. And I'm going like, that's exactly what it's like. Full mesh architectures are exactly. Is it so? Is it rocket science? Is it magic? What yeah. you're doing? Did you spend years mastering secret SD WAN arts <laughs> like? Like I you have a black card. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? There's a
1: secret cult I had to join, and uh, I've got a stamp on my inner, you know, <laughs> wrist here that uh, makes me part of the Did society. You get a special number to be able I, to do
2: this. Uh,
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a handshake too. So once you get that, I, I can explain it, explain it to you. But yeah. before that, no. But honestly, it was unbelievably easy. So again, not to not to really say how great our our solution was, but for us, it was a perfect solution. We set up a, a POC, and our POC was 100% live setup. So we were not committed to it. We set up, and once they set it up, it was ours. And then when we went live, it would there was not a switch to production. It was as it would be if it was in production. We tested out in a couple of job sites, and making changes is unbelievably easy. We were as a cloud-based orchestrator, it's called. And so we want to change the uh, the business intent overlays or how the routing works, or from when we switched it. We played around with a little bit. We were exp- hub and spoke initially, uh, because on. On the surface, it seems to make sense, right? We're only going to a couple spots, um, but as we grew and as we kind of play with it more, it made a lot more sense to make it a, a mesh setup, and that it has its own challenges too. But to switch it to a mesh, it takes maybe two minutes to make that change, hmm. and then you can see the changes push out across the the, um, the fabric, and you see the d- additional tunnels tunnels come online, and it's working. You know, so- it's great, and it's great, it's easy.
0: You know where I think some people might get upset about uh, full mesh or think it's really difficult? They did a DMVPN phase three. Things didn't go well. There were problems. (laughs) Because to get that (laughs) right, uh, I've I've done this with multiple hubs. To get that right, it's fussy. the, The paragraph for one interface to get all the bits right with... Uh, MGRE and NHRP and yep. uh, the crypto stuff, and then to get yep, it for PHP. full mesh and the routing correct for exactly. whatever your underlying routing transport is, is a lot. Is a lot of moving pieces yep. there. So yep. maybe that's where the history is. What you've basically done, Michael, and since you're sense. not this this is this is an SD WAN solution you're using, um, yep. not a DMVPN solution. A lot of it's just handled for you by the solution.
1: Man, and so I, I can feel exactly what you're saying because we were a, a traditional VPN, point-to-point VPN, site-to-site VPN setup before we went to this, and it was, it was, it was awful, right? Because you had to have uh, a high-level, <laughs> a high-level Cisco person that knows uh, not just VPN tunnels but routing and and all the all the stuff you just talked about. And
2: every and the time, entire was a... bug database related to that technology. Yes. Oh. you would have a half a dozen people in the tech support organization who exactly. knew him by exactly name. Right.
1: Yeah. <laughs> man, <laughs> Not- <laughs> oh. you're exactly right. That's exactly what it was. And it was a bear because, you know, one thing went down and it was a, each instance was its own separate project. You know, they were handled individually. There's no central orchestration. There was no, and then, oh God, if you ever want to do an update, to a, a Cisco, you know, VPN network, you've got more than like five devices. Holy, I mean, that's a, that's a year <laughs> in the making because you know you got. It's unbelievable. No one wants that. And so we, the first thing I did when I got to uh, in this environment I was like, man, that's, that we were getting rid of that because it, it was is horrible. It's slow. The overhead, it was just it was a it's a dying solution for, in our perspective. Right? There's places for it. Don't get me wrong. I think there's a lot of valuable use cases, but for us, it was just far. More maintenance than it was ever going to be worth, and now hmm. we we so don't have it, to have it those just high wasn't level
2: mystical. This wasn't yeah, it no, cool it, it, it's not cool either. It's not cool, and I think also one of the things that you didn't uh, that that I hear is you also got to see what was going on. You didn't have these arcane CLI yep. commands that you were spitting out the tips ex- of your fingers. All UI based. Yeah, yeah, you could you were actually getting visibility. So every time you lit up these features, you get charts and graphs and GUIs yep. and and visibility and monitoring tools, and it didn't.
1: Well, and the thing is, it's funny because it's, it, you, the hardcore Cisco guys, it's a badge of honor, right? I mean, like if you use the UI, you're, you know, you're shunned, you know, I, I love the guys <laughs> and I love those guys, right? If if they, if they you walk up to their desktop and they've got the Linux, you know, they're, they're typing emails in <laughs> command line, like mm-hmm. they, that's, that's their thing. And they'll, they'll, they'll mock you relentlessly because you've got a, you know, a user interface to your, you know, your, your computer. And so it, I think it is it, a lot of those guys are maybe hard to change and, and there's a uh, of resistance to that because it feels like for it to work this well, it's got to be complicated and it's got to be, you got to do it in the, you know, you got to type it out because that's the only way to do it. And they've made it to come so far recently where we don't need CCIEs anymore on our, on mm-hmm. our, on our environment. We, we have, I've got level two, level one field guys that go set up, so, so, set up our SD WAN, they plug a name, it yeah. calls home. And you don't even need to set it up. You literally deploy it, plug it in. It gets a, an address. It contacts the orchestrator in the cloud. It pulls its configuration. It builds its tunnels, and you're off. Right. You've got a, a couple. All you got to yeah. do is, is type in the static IP, and it's it's a no brainer. You know, my cost goes down significantly, and that's the thing too. VPN can be cheap, right? You can do VPN cheap from a capital expense. You know, roll a bunch of ASAs. You know, pretty inexpensive in the grand scheme of things. SD WAN is a lot more upfront cost from a capital expense, and even ongoing the licensing and WAN optimization, all that stuff. But your quality of service, the expertise you have to have on site, is far outweighs the the extra cost to cost to roll out. So mm. I, I mean, that's I'm a fan. Obviously, if you haven't picked oh, it, it, it <laughs> up, I, I love I love it. It's been great. Well, you talk about the CLI huggers and the router
0: huggers and such. It's a shame that we're still at the place where how we get to the result is somehow still more important than the result itself for some people. It's like, no, it's not. This just doesn't care how capable you are banging away at the keyboard to get that result it does not matter if there's a UI there if there's an API if there's some overarching yep. tool that can get that job done do it faster and with fewer errors and yep. then allow the system to scale over time in an easy way where you as you said Michael you can put out a level one level two guy out into the field and have them uh, turn that thing up with with little yep. incident that's exactly yep. what you want it you we shouldn't have to have <laughs> why
1: would you are why, why is that an argument you know but I still I've got Cisco devices you're like man what version of Java? Do I need to install to get the stupid, you know, <laughs> UI to run? You know, it's just like, are you kidding? This is I can't believe, you know.
2: <laughs> I, I want to get back thing. to a question. You talked about WAN optimization. Now I'm a bit, I'm a bit sort of two ways about WAN optimization in 2021, right? Yep. There are for most people in 2021, WAN optimization has no value, largely because of encrypted protocols. So the old days of NetBUI, NetBIOS being clear text and then being able to be compressed. You know, it wasn't Mm -hmm. uncommon to be able to compress or to locally act net BIOS and get ah, 40 to 1, 60 to 1, 100 to 1 improvements, or for print jobs to get 200 to 1 compression over the wire when WAN acceleration. But the advent of encrypted protocols for most organizations mean that WAN optimization doesn't add anything. But you're saying it does for you. Is that because you're avoiding these things or it just you know, what's the difference? Yeah, so for us, we a
1: large portion of our track, and this is, this is the beauty of this SD-WAN, right? We have, um, you know, obviously, there's not like a, a layer A on the, on the OSI model, but if there were, this is where it, it's really helpful, because you can now have application-level insight into routing data, so mm-hmm. we can set up different overlays uh, or different, um, we'll call it policies, per types of data, right? Or to where it's going, right? Office 365 or SIFS, NFS, whatever it is, we can set different policies. And so for us in our very specific use case, we have a ton of SIFS traffic, a ton of it, right? 80% Mm -hmm. of our traffic is SIFS. And of that traffic, a significant amount of it is duplicate data or multiple people accessing the same thing. And so as an example for us, we were doing a file migration and we tried it out, the great thing about SD-WAN is it's 100% licensing, right? I don't have to be a piece of hardware to try out WAN optimization. I type in a code or buy a trial for 30 days, see if it works or not. If it doesn't work, I don't buy it. If it does work, then I'll push it out everywhere,
2: right? A curse in there, but we'll come back to that now.
1: Oh, there absolutely is. There absolutely is, because it, it makes me mad. It's like, all this is is a license key. You know, I have everything I need, and you're going to charge me. What, what
2: are you charging me for this, just to, for
1: a key? But, but that's side's point. Uh, but um, we tried it out on a, we were migrating off of our on-prem servers over to Azure and we were transferring a file server. And the, you know, this is beyond Windows time. You know, we were doing a a transfer and we were estimating it was gonna take, it was gonna take close to 30 days to transfer the petabytes of data we had from our on-site server to Azure. We rolled out, uh, sorry, the win optimization and it dropped that down to days. It was unbelievable the amount of improvement it had in file transfer speed. So we thought, hey, you know, that's such a significant savings for us we're going to try it on job sites, particularly job sites where we don't have dedicated internet it's metered, you know, it's LTE mm-hmm. or something like that where we're rolling through, you know, you're capped out sometimes with some of these providers uh, at, at 20 gigs a month, you know, so we've got mm. 30 or 40 circuits uh, or lines that are tied to our cradle point, And we just keep swapping out SIM cards, you know, cause we'll burn through one and we can't add any more data to it. So, you know, this is a perfect use case because we're spending, you know, 10, 15, $20,000 sometimes on, on LTE fees because mm. we're at a job site that doesn't have dedicated connection. Uh, so we didn't have anything to lose, you know, what's an extra, you know, cost to try out when optimization and it cut our bill dramatically because Mm -hmm. of that. Um, and not only does it, you know, it, it it caches it locally a lot of times. So you're not even going across the pipe, but when you are transferring data, uh, it makes it. It compresses it, dedupes it, it, and it makes it just far more efficient because it's it's activate. It's it's working inside the tunnel, not outside the tunnel. If you're not you're not mm, yeah. you know yeah. you're not compressing the stuff outside the tunnel. Right. It makes a tunnel, and anything you're transporting over it is optimized. So it really, you know, can I say if it was we were doing a lot of web traffic or SQL you know database stuff over the pipe, would that be helpful? No, probably not. But Maybe what not, we're yeah. doing, yeah, the data yeah. we're transferring, we're,
0: it's huge for us. You're lucky that you have a data type that can be compressed and make such a big difference. Because yep. increasingly, Greg and I have talked about this a number of times, it, you just don't. It's compressed already. Yep. Uh, it's or it's encrypted already. And there's nothing you can do to optimize it. In fact, optimizing it might actually make it worse, all depending mm-hmm. on the algorithms <laughs> involved.
1: Yep. But we tunnel everything, right? So we we can uh, say that 90% of the time, we tunnel all traffic through uh through Azure, even you know we don't we we sometimes do local breakout for internet and Office c five to you know jump to the closest hop, but in general we tunnel all the traffic that goes you know in that tunnel. So it really like I said, it's it's for us. It was a pretty significant investment because we've you know we've got. Anytime between 15 and 100 job sites, and it's one of those things you kind of can't just do the tip on, right? You've got to go in. I mean, we we rolled it out, but you can't. You don't want half VPN and half SD WAN. You also half didn't have this. to go
2: and spend a half a million or a million dollars buying these big boxes with crypt, you know, magic processors in them. And mm-hmm. it was just yep. a case of suck it and see and throw it in. But you were also able to use the application recognition features yeah. to say I only want to apply the WAN acceleration to this traffic type. Yep. so It it wasn't like flipping the switch and then cross fingers that everything keeps working. You were just doing it to a specific type of tramping.
1: Exactly. And so for us, to kind of paint the picture more, I probably should have given you a better explanation of how construction works. But we let's say we're building a job site that has a lot of trade partners or subcontractors. There are times when we have 100, 200 other trailers, in addition to our trailers, that are using our infrastructure. So our BYOD environment is pretty vast. And it's not, and it's a, it's a complicated one in the sense that everyone, all 200, 300 other subcontractors have their own solution. They're trying to run, right. But mm-hmm. they're all running on our backbone. And the beauty of SD-WAN is we can optimize what we want and break out what we don't want. So, you know, we've set up a guest network or depending on the partner, we may share some of our stuff and they may have access to certain things, but it gives us that flexibility to optimize what we don't and, and not optimize what we don't want. And, uh, you know, that, again, if we're buying, if we've got a one gig or multi gig circuit at a job site, you know, that saves us money from having to bring in just a ton of data so that, uh, you know, we can get all these, you know, thousands and thousands of people yeah. temporary access.
0: What, what circuits do you end up getting into the sites? Typically, we've mentioned LTE, you've mentioned, I think, like cheap broadband internet cable internet or something. Is that typically the best you can do? Uh,
1: it really depends. I, I mean, I say that to say we we've used microwave. We've used we've got a, we're, we're trying to get a partnership with with Elon and try and test out his satellite communication. You know, we've got yeah. if it's been available, we have tried it. Right, lasers, point to point. A lot of lasers time,
2: are brilliant for building sites.
1: They they are they are because yeah. we'll pop one up on another a neighboring building. We'll rent a, you know two foot by two foot space on top of their their high rise and beam mm-hmm. it over to our job site trailer. But a lot of times that's maybe not possible, right? We don't have a line of sight or it's too far away or, you yeah. know, whatever it is. But we our fallback, thank goodness, we do have LTE and we, we pile just, we, the WAN optimization, what we'll do is we'll string together five, six, seven cradle points. Each of those have two LTE cards in it and the, and the SD-WAN device will aggregate those together. And so we can get one way or the other kind of what we need. Hmm. You just said uh, something really
0: important there that you brought up before, but I wanted to highlight it. That SD-WAN aggregating all of that bandwidth together. So if you've got a whole bunch of LTE links yep. at the cradle points, you're not managing a complex routing scenario no. where a routing yep. protocol has got to be deciding which link it's going to put this bit of traffic across or, or whatever. If you can even do that, most routing problems, you can't. Yep. Uh, so you're leaning into the SD-WAN heavily, which is able to distribute your data transfer across all of those different links at a
1: site. And again, you don't have to, Think about it. You don't need a CCIE on site to make that happen. Exactly. And we did that. So of the cradle points have some of that built in, right? They have, if you just go a straight cradle point, they have some of that VPN tunneling stuff together. Yes. But what we do is we just use a cradle point to, we do a, a one modem to one uh, WAN or LAN output on the, on the device. So we've got four cradle points, each with two SIM cards in it. We then have eight LAN connections that go into our SD-WAN edge device. And it spans across those as it sees fit. And the nice thing about that is, you know, sometimes Verizon, one day Verizon works great. The next day, AT&T works great. And the next mm. day, neither of mm-hmm. those work well. Now we get T-Mobile, right? Mm-hmm. And so the nice thing about that is it's constantly dynamically adjusting to the infrastructure, right? If you've got an event, LTE goes down for one provider. It knows that it routes appropriately um, and and keeps us going. So it's really, like you said, I mean, I can't emphasize enough how little maintenance this is. It's It's, it's so, once it's set up, and, and if you need another layer, right, if something we roll out something in the future, that's, you know, a different protocol that's, it's not in one of our four or five buckets, we've got data grouped into from a routing protocol and priority, we create another bucket, it pushes it out everywhere. And you're good to go. You know, I mean, same thing with updates, updates, you push an update, it downloads it. Like you to your comment earlier, Ethan, we push updates out all the time. And it's a non event, it schedules them, it restarts it when there's no activity or whatever it may be. And it's, I mean, I, 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 you know, and wake up and it bust. calls.
2: Oh, it's so that- the modern <laughs> code quality can be made good. You Absolutely. shouldn't have to f- cross your fingers just because you uploaded. Man, I tell you what, I slump- you shouldn't have to be like doing a bug, like the idea of doing a bug scrub in 2021 <laughs> oh is just, it just boggles the mind yep. that you're allocating budget <laughs> to do a bug scrub. You're paying yep. somebody 4,000 to $6,000 a day to check if there's a bug in their own product. That's going to stop you from, that just boggles my mind how it's been sucked. You know, anyway. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. No,
1: you're right. You're right.
2: You're right. Preach it. Come on. Come on now. uh, One question I wanted to ask you is um, the load balancing. You've talked often about load balancing across eight, more than two, right? Eight, Mm -hmm. maybe more WAN circuits. Now, whether they're 5G or broadband or laser shots, you know, free space optics or whatever. That implies that the load balancing isn't magic that it just kind of works? Is that a fair statement? Like uh, you've never had anything that made you pay attention to it, I
1: don't think. Uh, no, so at the beginning, we, we did, we tweaked it because when we first rolled it out, we did, we had to understand the data. And because we are so blind going into our data, so there's a lot of things that we made changes in the last two years here. So we were pre- Pre-SD WAN, pre-infrastructure upgrade, what we had when I got here was zero insight into the data that was going across the network. I mean, yeah. if, we had, if we had 100 different job sites, we had 100 different configurations. And that wasn't sure. just from the VPN Which setup. That packets, was from- right? It's not yeah, like I it's mean, an
2: application. It's just packets, right? We just route packets. That's
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, you can go to Best Buy or Target and pick up a switch and pick up you a know, little thing here and, and it, yeah. it works fine. It's fine. Yeah. It's fine. Uh, <laughs> so we had no idea what was going across our network. And, yeah. and, and number one, the huge security issue that that was for us Uh, But number two, you know, you couldn't optimize it or even build or plan to know what you're walking into. And that again was another thing why I really liked SD-WAN because you didn't have to have it all figured out before you went into it because it was so adaptable and so um, malleable and responsive to what the changing needs of of your environment were, right? So we plugged it in and the first day we didn't set up any policies, any business intent overlays. The first job site we set up, was wide open just so we could see what the heck was transferring so one microsegment across
2: the network and
1: one big tunnel one yeah exactly everything was lumped into the same category router so
2: emulation we, mode for SD-WAN I call that that's
1: really what it was it's exactly <laughs> what, I mean it was like you had a port mirroring set up and you're just looking at the stuff going by right uh, and so then we were able to tweak it and, and play with it and, and you know sometimes we made some things that made it worse sometimes we made things that made it better and we tweaked that one first job site uh to get that kind of dialed in. And now that we got it dialed in, and again, the, the best thing about that is now we've got, you know, 100 job sites. You don't have to go to each edge device and make that same tweak. You set a template up, you apply the template, and it happens. And we've got mm-hmm. two or three templates. If we've got an LTE site, we have one template. If we've got a you know any other type of site or maybe a DHCP versus static IP, we've got you know two or three other templates, but that's it. You know, the rest of it, it doesn't care if it's LTE or or DHCP or static. It it applies those same rules. And, and now we have the insight to say, man, what is, what is this random protocol? You know, maybe we rolled out something that was, you know, we didn't realize had some, a lot of chatter on a certain channel or, or was going off to some random website. Um, and for those bandwidth constrained sites, you know, we do have web filtering and we have, you know, umbrella and all that stuff on there, but we don't have access obviously to the uh, BYOD devices, right? Mm-hmm. And so we can handle a lot of that um, and take that off the network, a lower priority prioritize it uh, for those devices that are outside of our control. And it really um, it, it has brought down our cost a lot from that standpoint because we just were it, it made us more efficient, right? Um, to transfer those big files that so we went, you know, that are mission critical, that are very time sensitive for us to get done. It's just <laughs> that, did that, did that,
2: did that answer your question? I don't know if that answered
1: your question. <laughs> yeah, it got I no right well
2: I think the point here is, is that, you know, if you're listening and you're used to the idea of active standby because OSPF routing or, you know, BGP routing only allows you to have one one best path. Mm. And he, here you are saying, like, yeah, four, six, eight, 5G broadband, whatever. And I didn't need arcane magical powers to build an MPLS overlay to program it, you know, using DM VPN, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> like all the horror stories that I had to grow up with. And I look back on and go, like, it. you know, looking back now to what I went, through with in the early days of, you know, learning routers with Nortel and 3Com and Cisco reminds me of where I was with NetWare 1.0 and 2 Mm. and how far we've come from them to now. And SD-WAN is kind of that transition to me, like, you know, NetWare 2 when I was putting 36 floppies into a five and a quarter inch drive (laughs) and compiling the kernel, you know what, and and hope, and then all of a sudden the 33rd floppy would corrupt.
1: Yep.
2: Uh, and you'd have to go right the way back. And that's two days, right? Back to the beginning, you just lost. And here you are saying, you know, sure, act, not active standby, just active, 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 whatever, I yep. don't care, just thump them up, away we go. I got micro segmentation by application. That's mm-hmm. effectively, you know, and then you're applying policy per micro segment. So you've got security at, at the edge where the SD-WAN is. So you've got some sort of, and you've got the max segmentation, you've got whatever bandwidth, you don't care, whatever layer one laser shot, you know, rusty yep. barbed wire, you know, whatever you you'll take it. It's just yep. so far from where a lot of people are being taught in their curriculum today. It's almost unbelievable in a way. Like if you, you look you, at the current yep. curriculum around routers, you're like, wow, there is such a
1: gap. It is. And Greg, you, you hit it. Cause I, I've been around long enough to have to deal with that stuff as well. I mean, we, we, um, had ro- rolled out dark fiber and you know like you said ms uh doing mpls's and all that stuff you know, shoot t1s and all that all that stuff to try and get i had uh you know back in back in the day we had uh modem farms right we had tons of modems where you'd go home and dial into a modem hope you had a line available and to, to get to the corporate <laughs> network right i mean so don't, to, to, don't, to look at the, i'm gonna have i'm gonna have ptsd <laughs> sorry <laughs> for my as5301 administrator <laughs> here <laughs> yes. <laughs> exactly. So it was painful. And so to go through all that stuff and see how easy it is, it is like magic. Going back to what we said earlier, it is like magic because it is so easy. You know, you don't have to you know, worry about IRQ settings back in the modem days. You don't have to worry mm. about like, routing loops and all that garbage that had to come with, you know, routing yeah. and, and causing just huge network storms. I mean, it was impossible not to do with a network storm. You, and now, you must
2: almost have a personal life or something. <laughs>
1: uh, I, 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 I like hold on now, hold on, hold on. I'm still in IT. I'm still in IT. <laughs> but yeah, Michael, it's been great. It's been great. Okay,
0: so we we've been painting this rosy picture, and, and it's true because we've come so far and we're able to do these complex routing scenarios that were really unthinkable not all that long ago, not even five years ago. Um security, uh the hackers and the bad guys have come a long way as well. Mm-hmm. And the way certain hacks are getting executed, take advantage of the complexity of our application delivery, of our network infrastructure, and so on. How, how do you think about the the transport security in this environment that you're dealing with?
1: Yeah, so uh, I read a stat the other day that 33 or so, 30 to 35%, percent will say 33, it sounds good, uh, of intentional hacks are targeted specifically towards construction. Uh, and that's because notoriously, for good reason, construction is behind is very uh, unaware or isn't focused on digital security. Um, it, number one, number two, it's very easy for one transaction to get um, you know uh, taken advantage of, and there's millions of dollars in just one one transaction, as opposed to trying to you know interject mm. a bunch of two or three dollar transactions. So there's a lot of money on the line, and so that people are getting very uh, advanced in their attack base. You know, whether a lot of social engineering. Um, than just brute force, you know, code level attacks. It, they're, they're trying it all because there's such a payout in the construction industry. And so um, we have put a ton of time and effort into uh, closing the envelope on every every aspect of that. And infrastructure obviously being one of them, especially because we have such a huge BYOD environment um, that we can't control, but it's necessary, um, that needs to be reliable and fast. And so one, a couple things we do uh, is number one, we, I had mentioned earlier, we don't typically do local breakout, meaning we have no, if you want to come in the network, you're going through one spot. And, and that's, again, the, I'll tell you what, I feel like I should get, start getting paid for this, but <laughs> that's the beauty of SD-WAN, right? Because you can come in through the main uh, SD-WAN device, right? And in, in Azure, your data center, and then that can route that traffic over your network to get to that spot. So you, you minimize your attack surface dramatically because everything is walled off. Everything is closed from the outside. All the job sites are locked down. There are some job sites that we do need local breakout for different reasons, right? Um, owner requirements, or, you know, we've got a bunch of people that are whatever it is. We got certain requirements for that. The nice thing about that too, then is there are a lot of cloud-based firewall solutions out there, uh, that let you integrate at the edge device. So they cloud, uh, it's a cloud-based firewall, right? that lets you have deep integration with the edge appliance that then handles all of your firewall and you know but advanced inspection, things like
0: cloud-based that. Cloud-based firewall that uh, like sits up in Azure, that sort of a thing, or more yep. like uh, a third-party uh, a st- service where you shunt it over to them, they inspect it, and if it's all exactly. good, it
1: continues on its way. Yep. Yeah, exactly right. I mean, you could do it through Azure, but yes, there's third-party SaaS solution that is a cloud-based firewall that then creates an, its own tunnel from their infrastructure into your edge device that then tunnels the traffic over directly into your, so again, you're not exposing anything locally from your edge appliance, you're still tunneling all traffic. It just happens to originate on, you know, a SaaS providers cloud-based firewall, and then that's inspected, filtered, and then routes it back to you.
0: you. You have a pretty aggressive posture. Then is how I would describe it aggressive. And that there's admission control. You got to get onto the mesh. Uh, once you're on the mesh, you're only on the mesh. You're not doing split tunneling. Everything's got to go through you and your world. And that includes some kind of deep packet inspection, whether right. that's a firewall in a in, in headquarters somewhere, or a cloud-based uh, firewall, yep. some kind of an inspection service that way. Yep. So that's so you're. The, the trade-off there is if you're not doing split tunneling and people are just doing regular internet traffic, they got to do it through you, which has always been the complaint performance mm-hmm. and so on. But I guess what you another point you made there is the performance isn't that bad getting internet
1: via the mesh. Exactly right. And coming from what we came from, it has been an improve, a performance improvement. The way we're doing it now it has been significantly faster and better. And again, we can local breakout. We can absolutely do that. We can do local breakout and not and not and still block incoming traffic, right? That's absolutely a possibility. And in certain cases, we certainly do that. But um, it really has not injected. I mean, again, Office 365, there's a lot, a lot of web surfing we do. We've got a ton of SaaS apps, you know, all, mm. all web-based. So we don't have a lot of people just surfing traffic, watching YouTube, you know, that type of deal. All the mm. stuff is that SaaS changed, providers.
2: Uh, a lot of that changed with the advent of the mobile phone. People who yep. want to do personal web browsing, they'll do it on their personal phone whereas mm. before they would do it on the company computer so yeah yep. i also would think that you also set up the security scanning on a per per project basis so that the costs get charged back
1: we absolutely do everything. so we actually uh, it's funny <laughs> if we get into a, if if you want to think- get into a, a, a cost buyback or a cost uh, recovery model mm-hmm. here how we do it um for those of you who, who care who are in that kind of msp sort of world or or you know project mm-hmm. cost world what we ended up doing is before, we had built everything direct cost to the job. If we, if we bought a computer, built it to the job. We bought a, a Switch, build it to the job. Uh, pros and cons of that. At the end of the job, an owner in our, in our world can has the right to take that equipment with them. right? So if we bought all this cool stuff and it's great, they have the right if they want to own that copier or own that edge device or whatever it is. So what we started doing is building in uh, an overhead cost to IT for every man hour worked. So let's say, you know, for every hour you work in a job site, let's say you get 50 bucks an hour, we add an additional, make up a number $10 an hour for every hour you work that is 100% recoverable to us. And that has worked out well uh, for a lot of, th- and there's some other things we do direct cost on, like some of the rendering and some of the, n- the non-standard things we'll call it. Hmm. But that works out great for us because as a jo- if a smaller job has one or two people, they don't need to be hit with a $20,000 know, capital expense uh, for a job that's three months long. Well, uh, the capital,
2: it was also the capital expense would get you the thing, but it wouldn't get you the headcount because you couldn't ex- charge exactly, the IT headcount to the exactly project. Right. So then you went to a reseller and the reseller right. would give you a fixed price and then you could charge the reseller, but the reseller had no idea what you were doing. Yep. Well, so,
1: yeah, You're exactly right. And uh, you bring up a point that I was going to talk about earlier too, is we, we looked at several MSPs that provided SD-WAN as a service mm-hmm. and
2: uh-huh. The, oh, it's, it was, it's, um, I don't know why anyone want to do that.
1: Yeah, no, you're, I mean, you're exactly right. I mean, it's yeah. it, why they make it sound super complicated. And if you came from the world of VPNs and, you know, advanced routing, you're like, oh man, that is magic, That is cheap. I, I would spend mm. that all day long, but they're two X in the price for something that is zero management, you know? So I would really encourage you to, if you're going to look at SD-WAN, do it yourself, do a POC and just see how easy it is, no matter what the provider. I mean, some are pros and cons of both, right? If we looked yep. at Meraki and Silver Peak and you know, all the ones that are out there and they all are good and bad in their own ways. Right. And so, um, but and it's, but they're not hard to test. They're not hard. to test. You you can have just to have, yeah. They're not
2: a broadband connection yep. <laughs> and a couple of boxes. That's all yeah, you need. Ex- a ex- exactly. Boxes.
1: And we actually did Mars a little bit more advanced. We, you know, we actually inserted it into, we were testing a live site, so we inserted it to our oh. network. Right. So we had to, you know, work through some of the routing and making sure IPs weren't, subnets weren't in conflict, you know, Common sense stuff. It didn't take time much time to yeah. do, but you know, we did it as a live test. I think
2: a site. the biggest challenge I see with the MSPs today is that they replace managed routers with managed SD WAN, and it's fire and forget. They literally yeah. walk on site, put the appliance That's on, and exactly then go. Right. There you go. Yeah. That's it for another ten years. See you then. When yeah. the contract comes up, sort <laughs> of, and you're like, yep. hang on. I wanted a co- flexible, configurable yep. dynamic, and this is what you're talking about. You're able to change and flex the network you're doing these. Whereas your, the average managed service provider goes like, yeah, no, we've set up your SD-WAN in a managed hub. We've given you a 30% discount on your service. Yep. Congratulations, we just stitched you up for three times. the, You, know, you could have saved three times as much if you had done it done yourself. Yep. And, and you would have the- added to your head, internal headcount. Yeah, and doubled your internal capacity to react to problems.
1: Exactly right, and and the and the and the time to respond to that, right? I mean, now if something happens, we can jump on and fix it, as opposed to opening a ticket, waiting for them to roll a tag, you know, whatever they need to do. Uh, it just it's it's again it's a nope, it's a no yeah. brainer.
2: Our SLA says with says forty eight hours, we'll be back to you in forty seven hours. <laughs>
1: exactly.
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Hi, hi, Michael. Yeah, no, we haven't got anybody available. Yeah, we've met the SLA. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. We can it. Have you yeah.
1: rebooted? Is there power Is of there, is the building?
2: Yeah, oh, we'll be contact <laughs> again in another two days inside the SLA, four days later. Yep, no, our contractor, yep. our, our, our site tech will be ready in a day. Yep, yep, yep. yep. Two days later, the contractor couldn't make it, but we're still inside of SLA because we're contacting you every right. two days, every 48. Yeah, yep.
1: just- And the best part is too with SD-WIN, if we do have a circuit, which goes down all the time, you know, we're a construction site, so we're cutting things and digging all the time, right? Mm-hmm. So if we cut our own wire, or if AT&T, you know, has a major outage like they did a couple of years ago in, in our area, we drive down, we plug in a cradle point, we plug it into the device and they're back up and running. It is not, it's a non-event, right? And we oftentimes we have just backup, you know, LTE um, hotspots just sitting there just in the event that it does go down. People can still connect and buy us. You're doing
2: them. a $50 million job. Yeah.
1: What's a $50? (laughs) Sorry, guys, we don't have internet.
2: (laughs) Yeah. What's a, you know, what's a few thousand dollars worth of cradle points and SIM cards, honestly, you know, it's like, uh, yeah, exactly. 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 (laughs) Yeah. You got it. Well, Michael, this has been a great
0: conversation. I've thoroughly enjoyed this robot dogs <laughs> and lidar and terabytes of data and Azure and the whole thing. SD-WAN, great, great stuff, man. Now, are you a a blogger
1: community kind of person? Uh, a URL, uh, you know or what? I'm, handle, I'm not that interesting. I'm not. I wish I could. <laughs> I, I, I thought like, man, I should, I should. I should put something out there. No, I, I can't do it. You'll get one he's, post, and then six years later, you'll see He's still recovering
2: from configuring DMVPN. <laughs> right, he yeah. needs a little time <laughs> to realize he's got the time. Now exactly. he's got the SD WAN. He's got exactly. time. He's just he's just in in therapy to recover from that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But if anyone's to
1: connect, you can find me on LinkedIn for sure, uh, or something like that. But yeah, happy to talk to whoever, and 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 uh, if you have any questions, I'd love to love to chat with anyone. Absolutely. But great
0: stuff, man. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for taking the time to chat. Uh, we were supposed to record this, you audience person listening, the the, the thing you don't know, we were going to record this before Christmas. And we all got together on the call and various things. And we're all like, we're all exhausted. It's been a long <laughs> year. Let's record this after the holiday. Try again. And I'm glad we Joke did. Joke on us. Uh, Joke on were, us. It <laughs> so Ended up being a great conversation. So. Yep. So thanks to you out there in the audience for listening. And uh, you can find this and many more of our fine free technical podcast. All of that is at packetpushers.net. If you only listen to heavy networking, you're missing out. Go to our subscribe page and see all of the shows in our podcast networking lineup. There's a whole bunch of them all there for your professional career development. If you would like to interact with other engineers who are like you, hey, join our Slack group, packetpushers.net slash Slack. Read the rules. Some of you aren't reading the rules and getting yourselves in trouble read the rules. There's only three of them. And then uh, sign up for our Slack group and nerd out with all the other engineers doing things in there, solving problems, helping each other out. Last but not least, remember that too much networking would never be enough.